You're meeting a celebrity and you have one chance to make a memorable impression. What do you do? What do you do? This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. One person I might want to track down is Stephanie Williams of Florida. Stephanie was driving on the interstate one day last week when she noticed the truck ahead of her had a bit of a loose load of plywood. Suddenly, one of the pieces caught a breeze, flew into the air, and landed right on her windshield. That's like the start of a scene in Final Destination, and it's absolutely terrifying. Of course, you can get more stories like Stephanie's by visiting KeithConradMedia.com and signing up for my free email newsletter, The News Side Quest. Every week, you'll get a collection of tales of interest, along with my snarky commentary and a few amusing gifts. My guest this week has a slightly happier story to share. Mike Heideman is a musician and producer living out in California. You can get more information on his exploits at MichaelHeideman.com. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Keith. I'm a huge fan of the show. This is a total honor, my friend. Well, speaking of total honors, um, you know, I... You know, you you and I have both worked as uh, as producers in media, so we we've met uh, famous people uh, over the course of our uh, of our careers. But uh, I, I've never been uh, I've never been in a, a position where I was thumb wrestling the Hulk. <laughs> and few people have. I, in fact, I think there's a line that stretches longer than the the organ donor list that to thumb wrestle the Hulk. But yeah, it was, it was a great experience, and I got to thumb wrestle Lou Ferrigno just as a young, young starting off reporter uh, for a station in Chicago. So not uh, not not the current Hulk from the Marvel universe, but the the original, the OG Hulk. Yes, yes, the OG Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, and I can't even remember. I didn't. I've never watched the sh- uh, an episode of the show, but I do know the whole uh, folklore and and the comic book. and And he was he was nice enough to grace Chicago with his presence during the C two E two comic uh, oh, yeah. Comic Con festival. Which, if you haven't been to it, you got to check it out. It's the best way to meet your favorite celebrities. They're all so nice. They're all eager to be there. And depending on the day, you know, you might catch them in a good mood and a good enough mood to uh, to wrestle them with them a little bit, I suppose. You know, you know Mike, C two E two is great, but we need to get you to Dragon Con in Atlanta at some point. Like if if you if you like C two E two, you'd just be blown away by Dragon Con. What's Dragon Con? Uh, so Dragon Con. So basically, C two E two is run by um, you know an, an outfit that does a number of different conventions around around the country. And so, because of that, you know, they they can get uh, you know people in in you know that that maybe other conventions couldn't because it's a tour. And so, C two E two does get a lot of uh, big name people. But Dragon Con is actually a convention that's been around for about I, I think right around forty years now at this point, and it gets the name because it used to be like like literally it started off as people playing Dungeons and Dragons in a hotel basement. Oh, nice. That's how it started out. But it it eventually became like this massive pop culture convention that is actually run by um, fans in Atlanta. You know, it's rather than being like a a corporate thing that's, you know, like for promoting, you know, various movies or, 
you know, gathering together celebrities in the way that most other conventions are. This is something that's actually more fan run. And so you'll get um, like they have have different tracks, like there's a Trek track, which is all Star Trek people, which is actually run by one of the actors from Star Trek Voyager who organizes it every year to bring in, you know, people from from the various Star Trek shows over the years. And so it's actually, you know, and, and there's like 30 or 40 different tracks that are that are just like that. And so it's. It it has the same things that uh, you know a C two E two has, where you can meet all these people, but it also has uh, a lot of events with them as well. So it's it's sort of like a uh, uh, like the the perfect uh, middle ground between you know um, Comic Con in San Diego, which is basically just like a you know a big press conference for all the various studios. Or C2E2, where it's just sort of a meet and greet sort of situation. So it's it's a middle ground between the two. It's really it's really cool. I've been going since I lived in Atlanta in uh, in 2007, and uh, like even I only lived in Atlanta for two years, but uh, my brother and I have been going there every other year ever since then. Wow, man! See, I love those kind of pure festivals that are just built from a bunch of friends hanging out playing magic cards, like you know, in their in their basement or whatnot. Yeah. It's the same way with like South by Southwest. I was just a collection of musicians just jamming out uh, at like a bar. And then all of a sudden it turned into this giant and now corporate uh, music festival. But that's so, so cool. I, I kind of, I knew a little bit about Dragon Con, but I kind of stayed away from it because I was, uh, I was on board with as a self-proclaimed nerd and a very mm-hmm. proud self-proclaimed nerd. I was into, I, I looked into magic, you know, when I was in um, uh, high school yeah, of course, like most of us did, and then got into uh, magic, as in like David Copperfield and stuff. So, and I and I love it with all of my heart. And so, but the problem was, I was a, a a very specific type of nerd, and I thought that Dragon Con was just all Dragon Ball Z uh, fans. So I never oh. looked into it more. But now that I have a better idea, maybe I should go and check it out. Yeah, I think uh, you know. At this point, they've been around long enough that I don't think they're changing the name. But I think that the, I think that the name actually literally does scare people off because they, you know, like they might be like you, like they think Dragon Ball Z, or they might think, oh, it's a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons nerds, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that uh, the that the name might keep some people away. But but heck, there's like eighty thousand people there uh, in downtown Atlanta in the in the same weekend. And by the way, funny story. Uh, it's always Labor Day weekend, and they also have the Chick-fil-A college football kickoff in Atlanta on Labor Day weekend. So literally on one side of downtown, you've got all <laughs> these people in town for college football. And on the other side of town, you've got like all these people cosplaying as, you know, like some steampunk character. So it's actually really funny to watch them like sort of collide downtown. Oh, Jesus! just like my lunchroom. Back in high school. <laughs> exactly. So, so at any rate, uh, C two E two and and Dragon Con sort of similar ideas, and uh, and so you got to meet uh, Lou Ferrigno uh, here in Chicago. Yes, exactly. And it's kind of a, a more. Uh, it's, it was a long, dusty road to get to that point because you know I, I had. I guess if I if, if you'd be so kind, I'll tell you the story about it, and uh, it was crazy. So I, I got out of college. And I, I was I was really focused on 
becoming a journalist. That was my dream. You know, I really knew that I wanted to get into radio, TV, movies. Somehow, I didn't know what the process was going to be. I knew no one. I knew no one. I worked, and then once I graduated, I worked at a bank. So I was like, I was just doing the most mundane stuff with this dream of like radio and, you know, and, and movies and TV in my mind. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, I just, I said, uh, why don't you just take the chance and take this unpaid internship and quit your, you, you know, your high paying bank job? My dad wasn't the happiest about it, but I knew <laughs> eventually it was going to work out. And what happened was I knew that once I got my foot in the door, and thank you to 101.9 The Mix, because I, that was my first radio job as a promotions uh, assistant. And I, I remember waking up at five in the morning, you know, handing out chapstick at the local 5K and how hard <laughs> that was to walk through the mud with a giant cart, which had our tent connected to it. And But I knew in my mind when I was young, I was like, this is what everyone has to go through. I'm sure that Stern, you know, went through this. I'm sure a young Keith Conrad had to go through this as well. <laughs> and then eventually- oh, yeah. And then eventually I, I, I said, okay, so then I got this and then I met this beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, really helpful person named Kristen Decker. And she gave me my first internship at a WGN radio. And then once I was in there, I was like, all right, game on. You know, I, I, every moment of every single second of every day I spent working on radio, cutting audio and being a musician, you know, I had a little bit of experience with cutting audio, but I knew that if I just really gave them my all, I could do everything that was possible. And then eventually did, you know, six months of internships uh, with Pete McMurray and Scott Miller, who are, who were great teachers. And then I met uh, Dave Plyer, who is this amazing musician, musician. He, he was he worked in the music industry for a little bit, but then he, he had a show on WGN and it was on at two o'clock in the morning. And I remember. Big time. Yeah. 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 Great time. It, it, it was, but, but the thing was he, he always re- was able to get the greatest guests of all time. Like we're talking. Mm-hmm. Barbara Eden. He was talking to Bob Hope. Like literally every weekend was somebody bigger and bigger. I mean, Dick Van Dyke was on the show. You can go and search him and oh. Google his name, and he he has everybody. Yeah, he had my spirit animal uh, Bob Newhart on uh, not too long ago. Really, Bob Newhart yeah. is your spirit animal? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. You got a little bit of the the Newhart vibe. Uh, but then so slowly and sh- slowly and surely I moved and, and, you know, through the production process and, and learning about radio and audio. And then I remember seeing Scott Miller and Dave work with these people who they needed to get, you know, for the booking of the show was just so incredible. And I thought to myself, all right, Michael, this is the challenge. And then before Lou, uh, this, this little known artist named Ringo Starr was coming to town in Chicago. And I thought to myself, all right, how do I do this? And so I deconstructed it. Luckily, I had a really great girlfriend at the time who was very supportive. And she worked with me at the station as well. And we, we made it our mission to interview Ringo Starr, when, no matter how, what we could do. Didn't tell anyone about it. Went to the hard rock, you know, and just and we were working at an at a independent radio station, Chirp Radio. Uh, which was nice enough to, you know, just be supportive with audio equipment. And, and they were just the greatest group of people at Chirp Radio in Chicago. So then anyway, smash cut. We interview Ringo Starr. And then I see that C2E2 is coming to town and it's, it's nothing but stars, you know, nothing but stars. And being the dweeby guy that I am, I was thinking to myself, you know, what would be really, really cool. Thumb wrestling the Hulk. I don't know why it came into my mind. And I thought, 
this is what I must do. I must figure out a, a great, like, you know, a catchy uh, Google search that they could find a video that, that I would want to watch because I could do an interview, but I'd much rather see somebody, you know, thumb wrestle <laughs> a gigantic bodybuilder. I mean, he was the Mr. Olympian. Uh, he, he is a huge, huge dude. And the thing is, Listen, and I bet that's a lot more memorable for him than, uh, than just any regular old interview. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking as well, because because uh, he's, you know, he's just signing autographs all day. So we go up there. But here's the thing. We had we had the interview scheduled, um, scheduled out to play on Dave's show and everything. But I brought a camera, this guy named Kyle Rada, who used to work at WGN as well. Oh. He came with me along with my cousin, because at the time, you know, this was when internships were still unpaid. No one really wanted to be a part of this, like this journey, uh, without getting a few bucks in their pocket, except for these two people. So, so then, yeah, we we were able to break into C two E two, and really, uh, and that's kind of where it started. And and um, I don't know, it's just I'm I'm thinking back in my mind right now about how nervous I was because I was like picking out my clothes the the night before and I was like, should I dress up? Would you think that he would want me to wear green? Um, <laughs> I remember, and as a journalist, it, tell me if you do the same thing, like when you're getting ready for an interview, how many, how many questions do you usually write down to feel safe? Um, well, I would say if I'm interviewing somebody high profile like that, I would say at least five to 10. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking too. So I wrote about 50 questions for him. <laughs> hey, better to have too many than not enough. Oh my gosh, Keith, it was the funniest thing because I was on the L just researching the life of Lou Ferrigno. Like I remember sitting there going to work and I was just like, okay, so he was a police officer at a time. I could ask him about that. And then I was like Googling what are the best questions to ask as an interviewer? Because this was my first, in my head, I was like, this is your moment, man. This might break you into stardom. <laughs> this yeah. interview with Lou Ferrigno. You never know. Yeah. So, so we go there and I remember it was so funny because if it wasn't for people who were creative and had ideas like Eric Nirowski, who was our video content guy, and Tim Barnes, who was video content, and Jackie Paulus. T I mean, Tim Barnes, who, by the way, is you know writing for The Tonight Show now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you could see that it was a good creative source. It was good that he was in the corner rather than, you know, the local yokel, but man, yeah. I can't believe that he's writing for the tonight show. Well, I can believe, but it's just so awesome to think that Tim Barnes is writing for the tonight show there. It, Cause it couldn't be uh, more well-earned and for a better guy. Am I right? Right. Yeah. I, I should get him on, but it would basically just be how cool is it to write for, for the tonight show? That, that <laughs> That would be the whole interview. Oh my god! You should get him on. I bet. I bet he would do the show. Yeah, he he might. I'll have to ask him. Uh, you know, th this is the second episode in which Kristen Decker has gotten a shout out, so I might have to get her on too. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, she she you know really put a lot of people in the right direction. I don't even think she noticed or, or knew what an impact she'd have on people's lives. And that's such an interesting thing to think about because you know when you are a young struggling producer or journalist. You really need someone in your corner. I mean, you can do so much by yourself, but it, unless you have that little nudge, you know what I mean? That little yeah. nudge, it, it, it won't matter. Like, who was that nudge for you, Keith? 
Uh, I was very fortunate that I worked with uh, some really great people uh, early in my career. I will say that um, the very first host that I worked with uh, in radio was a guy named uh, Keith Larson, and it was uh, it was in Huntsville, Alabama. And he was actually a guy who grew up in Palatine, was on the radio in Rockford, uh, left radio to do a political thing for a while, and... Um, after that, did uh, advertising for McDonald's and was actually the guy who invented two for two bucks. And um, uh, he was trying to get back into radio. And so that's why he was in market, you know, whatever Huntsville was, I think, 118 at the time. So he was way too polished and, and everything to be in, in, in Huntsville. But, uh, you know, he was doing things that were he was talking about politics. And this is, you know, 2000, 2001. So there's some serious stuff going on at the time. But he was still managing to have fun with with just about everything. And, you know, that that had a big impact on me. Uh, you know, yeah. both his his level of preparation every day, even though it was a show in, you know, market 118. Um and just the fact that he was looking for how are we going to make this entertaining for people in some way. And I think that's really something that's been missing a lot in, in radio today. Yeah, for sure. Shout out Market 118, one of the <laughs> finest in the land. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not meaning to, uh, you know, to, to de denigrate Hunts Vegas. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I work there and know a lot of great people there. But, but you know... But, as far as you think about a destination in your career, you're probably not thinking thinking that. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it is a great starting point, and it's funny because before the interview, we were talking about how it's kind of uh, it's life is such a journey. You know, it's such a journey of a rocky roads and you know these winding trails. Should I take this path? Should I take this path? And you never ever know until you look back. Am I right? Yeah. So, so the fact that I had those kind of people and, and I didn't see it at the time because at the, at the time I was just like work, 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 email, email, you know, focus on the career that I didn't see what was really transpiring and how much those people really helped me out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So then I slowly, I, I figured out a way to get into this festival and that's my favorite part of journalism is how do you do it? How do you get the interview? How do you meet this person? Or how do you get the story, you know, and it could be, it's interesting because uh, now with the news, it's interesting to see the, the angles that uh, journalists take with their stories, knowing that, you know, you're able to create whatever you can create uh, with your mind and your, your experience. And I wanted to create a really positive, great story with Lou Frigno that no one else had heard. So I get the camera, I get Kyle to, to film and we're walking around C2E2 and then I see him like, you know, it was like out of a movie. He was just sitting there on his phone, but there was no one around. I'm like, this is perfect because I don't need to argue or like, you know, push my way through for anybody. And mm -hmm. and just like just like clockwork, I just went up to him and I said, hey, uh, you know, we, we had kind of scheduled the interview. But it was, as you know, as a producer, it was a soft, uh, soft booking because, you know, mm -hmm. he's Lou Ferrigno. He's got things to do. He is. He's and a busy guy. <laughs> and so we went up to him and I was just this dorky kid in the tightest white, tightest like dress shirt, my glasses on and everything. And I'm sitting there interviewing him and I'm like, this is going really well. This is going really well. And then I see Kyle, you know, look at me because at the end of the interview, we wanted to do the, the thumb wrestling video. And I was so nervous that I was like, I went up to him and, and it went great. And I, he probably thought, 
this is a waste of my time. (laughs) 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 Because, you know, I was, I was in my early 20s. It's probably not the weirdest thing anybody asked Lou Ferrigno to do that day. Exactly. You know, you're probably right. So, so then I approached it and as I do, I very, you know, cautiously and I said to him, I go, the interview is going great, Lou. It's a total pleasure to meet you. I would love to thumb wrestle you. (laughs) And (laughs) looking back at, I was thinking back at at the look on his face. He was, he gave me that, you know, and, um, and I love you, man. When, uh, when the guy, uh, when he asked, when he's working with Jason, um, what's his name's character? Uh, to sell that house or whatnot, mm-hmm. and it always gives them that like that kind of confused face. It was that yeah. confused face. I think you can go to to marker one hour thirteen in that movie. I'm just kidding, but <laughs> just, <laughs> but so I get that confused face, and I'm like, oh, uh oh, something's up. You know, as a journalist, you you are aware of all little ticks that they have in their face too, because you want to make sure that you know you're flowing with the interview. And he goes, that sounds great. You know, he he's deaf, so also, um. I want to make sure he heard me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but he 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 he's such a good he's such a good human being that he was like, "Yeah, man, that sounds like a great idea." He said, "The only thing is make sure that you're just are gentle on my hands cuz I have arthritis from lifting weights my entire life." And I'm like, "Whoa." <laughs> and then and then I'm thinking to myself, "All right, this is the moment." And he held my hand and his hand was like a freaking baseball net connected to bananas. It was <laughs> enormous. And I'm like, I don't even think I can get my thumb to where your knuckle is. So, so we're, we're sitting there and, you know, I, I'm all revved up. And then I say, okay, action. And we go, right, hey, everybody, it's, it's Michael from WGN. It's great to see all you here at C2E2. Uh, Lou Frigno, you've been asked a lot of things, but I got to know one thing. Are you man enough to take on a thumb wrestling competition? And he looks at me and goes, it's on. He twinkle. He does his little finger, and then we're playing. We're we're literally thumb wrestling in the moment, and I'm like, "Should I beat him?" You know, for a second, <laughs> for a second, I wanted to to beat him, but the, he eventually beat me, and we and uh, and we got the interview, and you can go and check it out online. I think it's still online somewhere. But it was like it was the most bizarre moment because then after the interview, like he was he was really really cool. And my heart was racing a thousand miles an hour. My thumb hurt like hell. And I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, there, cause there's something about getting that interview, uh, having a concept for the interview and then executing the interview. It just, that just felt so, so good. And then, yeah. and then once I got the, the footage and everything, I gave it to the great Tim Barnes and Eric and they put out the video and, and, I mean, the rest is history. Now me and Lou Frigner are best friends. We call each other on the weekend. Just uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, the rest is history because it was more so, I mean, it was a crazy moment in my life. It was one of the craziest moments in my life. One of the craziest moments in my um, journalism, radio careers. But I knew at that time, I'm like, oh. I, it, was, it was like a breath of fresh air because I was like, okay, now you know that you can, you've squashed that fear and you're able to, you know, keep getting these kind of interviews. You shouldn't be afraid of, you know, the mountaintop of Lou Ferrigno or, or, or booking, you know, William Shatner one day, or even booking the president. It's all the same person. You know? I, I was about to say, uh, um, you know, the, once you've got Lou Ferrigno, why not president Obama? <laughs> it's a natural order. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then, so then after that, everything really just, really just clicked because it was, I needed to get over that fear. And like what the thing was, it was about conquering that fear because I was, I was a really nervous, nervous kid, you know, growing up and small town living. And you know how it is. I'm sure that everybody who is listening as well understands the, the, the amount of fear to even talk to a girl you like, you know, mm-hmm. ask a girl for a dance or something like that. That is, that's more terrifying than going up to Lou Ferrigno. And, and that's what I was thinking. I was just like, you know, this is only going to last a little bit and all you got to do is just be you. And then, you know, once it happened, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulder and, uh, Dave Plyer, he, he ran the interview and it was just, it was the coolest moment because not only was I able to nail that interview, but I was able to carry on. And then it led to, you know, hundreds of more interviews with, uh, with tons of interesting people. And now I'm living in, you know, I got to live my dream and move out to Los Angeles as a producer. So it's, it, you don't understand the little things, but once you, once you get through them, you really are, you really appreciate them in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a good life lesson. I think, uh, thanks so much for sharing your story, Mike. You're welcome, Keith. It was great talking to you as always. And I wish you all the best. If you think you can top Mike's story, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Gabatron 